Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Tech Strong Women, where we feature amazing women doing amazing things in tech. I'm Jody Ashley, executive producer here at TechStrong, and I'm here with my co-host, Tracy Reagan, creator and CEO of Deploy Hub. And in her free time, she's super active, busy working with the Linux Foundation. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to give you a quick update about what's going on here at TechStrong. We just launched our newest site, techstrong.ai, so be sure to go check that out. There's a a lot of great content up on there. We have a couple virtual events coming up you can check out. Uh, August 16th is Data Ops Day, where we're going to take a deep dive into the world of data and data ops. And you're going to hear from data and business leaders who've adopted data ops to achieve their goals for quality, security, and speed. And on September 13th, we will be having a digital CXO summit, which is going to be amazing. We've got a bunch of industry leaders we're going to share their insights from their own digital transformation journeys, tips on how to become future-ready technology businesses that sustain long-term growth. So important right now. They'll address common challenges C-suite executives face in driving digital initiatives and provide practical strategies to overcome them. So we can always use great tips. So definitely tune into that. You can register for all our events by going to techstrongevents.com and be sure to tune in every day to techstrong.tv for great shows and interviews. Okay, Tracy, what's on your mind today? Well, you know, I've kind of been on this AI kick and it's probably because I have my, I have some Google searches set up so I get all these news um, events. But today, something interesting happened with Salesforce. Um, Salesforce is sort of doubling, literally doubling down on AI. They um, t- announced today that they're going to increase their uh, venture capital for generative AI startups um, to 500 million, um, wow. which is, it's a statement, you know, so now I just want to tell everybody, I'm so tired of hearing about the technology recession, because there's not a technology recession, there's a technology pivot going on, there's still tons of money out there, there's great jobs, and we're just learning new things, and we're doing new things. They uh, So Salesforce has always had this uh, service called Einstein that um, I'm not really sure how it worked on the back end, but it provided you, so it, it helps you kind of harvest the information that you're gathering in, in, in Salesforce. But they have now an AI cloud that is really going to focus on these large language models. So there, there'll be a, um, it'll host a, a, a a large language model service uh, around AI. So this stuff is happening. It's happening and it's happening really, really fast when you get these kinds of uh, notices and things popping up in your Google search on such a regular basis, you know that this is a very busy industry. So for all of you out there who maybe just graduated from college or looking for a way to really fire up your career, and we talked about Tensor last time, this is your generation, this is what's happening. So keep an eye on it. Absolutely. I just, it's, it's everywhere. You can't turn anything on without hearing about AI, good, bad, and everything in between. Yep. Well, I would love to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Christine Abernathy. Christine, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Jody, And thank you, Tracy. Thanks for having me on this show. Mm-hmm. So um, I currently lead um open source at F5. I've been here probably of just about 18 plus months, coming up two years in September. 
And I've been in sort of like open source land for kind of close to a decade, seriously, obviously using it beforehand. And I grew up, I was born and I was raised in Kenya. Uh, so I came to the U.S. for school and I've been here ever since in all kinds of tech fields. And you never know where things are going to go. So it's always been an exciting, exciting world of, like you say, pivot. Sometimes when you look back at your life, it's like a series of pivots. That's the way I could say it. <laughs> well, just so That's all of you know, I literally, I I heard Christine talk at a Linux um, Foundation event. And from that, I immediately tried to connect with her on LinkedIn. I poked her and poked her and poked her. And then I saw her again at OpenSSF and I kind of grabbed her and I said, Christine, it's yeah. Tracy, we would love to have you on to talk about um, open source and something that I know is really passionate to you. And, and, and I love the talk, topic and that's mentoring. But before we get on that topic, don't you think that right now for, because I know you've worked with people in, you know, career mm -hmm. development and, you know, kind of exploding technical skills. Don't you think that AI is where, if you were, if you were starting out brand new, where would you want to get a job? I, you know, it would be that. I've seen seasoned folks who have been doing like great projects, whether it's like these JavaScript libraries, kind of feeling this fear of missing out this FOMO, like, <laughs> They're like, oh, can I go back and start again and start because it's just so exciting. I think it's more like the possibility seems so endless. Even earlier today, as I was listening to an AI podcast, I tried to spend time on that a couple of an hour or so at least per day. And I was like, I wish I could tell people who even have no tech background, even just like come check it out. I mean, your imagination can kind of go crazy. And this is like the place to do it. I agree. Yeah, and if you if you're just getting out of college, this is your generation's tech, right? Yes. You know, mm -hmm. it is where the it's where the money is. It's where the growth is going to be. It's where the um all of the it it's where all the brains are going to be. To be quite honest, I think it's a fascinating turn of events. Uh, if we if we just looked a year ago, we heard you know Facebook or. Metaverse and, uh, you know, the whole debacle around Twitter and that AWS was laying off. And at the same time, we had this massive explosion in the ideas and the abilities around AI. Uh, so that's why I say don't get caught up in this silly discussion about a technology recession, because it's just a technology pivot. Yeah. And it's time to get involved. I agree. And uh, even if you look back in history, it's usually during these sort of lull times where the the people are pulling back and hiring is going in the opposite direction. This is where the next um, set of startups are actually formed. So if you think about it, you've got this AI pivot and you've also got these uh, uh, tech workers who are out there on mass. It's just like a great storm of like, I can't wait to see what gets actually burst out of this. I am in the same, I feel the same exact way. I cannot yeah. wait to see what happens with um, technology in the next two to three years and probably sooner. What do you think it, you know, and I know you haven't been at Facebook for a while, but you were mm -hmm. there for quite some time. Do you yes. think that the kinds of data that Facebook is gathering, what kinds of, you know, what kinds of AI models could be built from that? I, I, I was, the closest I got to some of like the AI work was when as a team, we were supporting PyTorch, which at that time, um, and PyTorch is a tool for if you're doing like research and they were trying to pivot to not only be used for reaches, but all the way to production. So I spent kind of like a year and the team trying to um, assist the team with kind of like going into the, the next level. So on that stage, there is obviously 
quite a, a, a bit of data and just like the, the people talking and discussions. And when you're thinking about everything from like languages and there's like some really cool uh, things that have come out of Facebook. And, and, and then the other thing that's actually pretty interesting, at least from my time there, I remember when it was like a trickle of a few research papers that were being shared to when it became like the topmost things that people were talking about. So I've seen like the openness of uh, Facebook kind of like become very evident and you can see it playing around with stuff like the llama models that kind of came up within the last couple of months that are also kind of like revolutionizing sort of like the open source models. So, but in terms of like the data, there's definitely, there's definitely uh, more data than you can There's got to be a ton of data yeah. around yeah. Um, what, with what, Facebook's been gathering for such a long yeah. time. We did an yeah. interview with uh, the CEO of Jelly. I can't think of her name. Maybe Jody could bring it up for me. Nora Jones. Uh, Nora Jones. That's right. And they, uh, she had an interesting idea around just tracking tickets and tr predicting uh, the potential of uh, outages or failures or problems based on the chatter that's coming through on support tickets. And she has a company called jelly.io that, oh. uh, yeah. So, you know, if you think about just that, it, the amount of information that comes from like, I don't know, any of the chat, you know, any of the chat uh, services, any chat service is going to create a huge amount of, uh, of potential uh, data to start reacting to. I, it, it's again, I'm sure your work at Facebook, you must be thinking, I wonder what they're cooking up. <laughs> I wonder what <laughs> they're going to do. There's always going to be something interesting. Um, even like when you talk about like the chatter and tickets, there's even like the chatter when you go back to the apps that are being uh, uh, created, like the chatter of, of, of telemetry data that's out there that all of these different like uh, apps kind of send out. Like how can you like instrument that so you start to kind of hear that chatter and say, okay, something's about to go up go down and there's a lot of different companies that are also starting to think. And some of that is just simple data analysis. You might not need to get into generative AI, but you never know. Yeah, That's well, the I think it's a big topic right now is generative AI. I just keeps popping up. And really it, a it lot. will be super useful to have an AI cloud platform that's ready for you. And so I think Salesforce is making a pretty smart decision to move into that area since they already had Einstein. I'm sure it's their building up on top of what they had there. So interesting yeah. times, interesting new products coming out. And of course, <laughs> if you're a tech geek, you get really excited about it. Yeah. And there are other companies like ServiceNow who are also, like you're saying, in terms of like the ticketing. And I believe, I don't know if they are actually like uh, partnered with, uh, with Salesforce, but I know that they were building a large language model that specifically going to be tailored to um i don't know if it is actually support tickets but every company is 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 thinking of similar for the most part about a couple of things how can we train these models or create like smaller models that are on our data and how can we do it in a way that's uh, that is like uh, secure and private so i'm actually also excited to see uh some of those companies that are going to be around like the tools and thinking about like the privacy and even um, within, even if you have a lot of data and you want other teams to experiment, you have to think about like, what are you exposing to these different teams that are, even if you're in the same company, so that you actually can maintain that privacy, but still be able to work and do all this machine learning. So I think even just like those companies that think about how do I anonymize data? How do I make it private so that I'm not sharing it out in the cloud? So that's another space that I think it's going to be pretty big as well. 
So you are now, you work now with F5 and yes. you are a, the director, senior director for um, open source evangelism. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of your history and how you ended up at that level? You know, yeah. we work really hard to find women at the, the senior levels um, and especially women of color. You are not a, a common commodity, I can promise you. <laughs> so why don't you give us a little bit of your, your background um, and yeah. give some insights on in how you got to where you are. Yeah, so um, I kind of got pulled into open source when I, uh, at some point, I was looking for a different role within uh, Facebook. And at that time, um, I wanted to work with a particular manager that I, that I worked with, that we worked pretty well together. And, and he had been working on open source, James Pierce, for a couple of, of years, almost like the sole person trying to revitalize uh Facebook open source. And he wasn't the only one. He had like folks around him, but he was the one person that was leading it. So I joined it. We became a team of two and then we became a team of three, basically leading the open source team. And a reason why I wanted to kind of get into that was also to get a sense of when you are in open source, especially on an overall company level, you get a chance to see what is being built across different parts of the organization. And I thought that would be like really Exciting because up till then I had been working on just like one small piece of where what Facebook was working with with developers, and immediately when I kind of got into it and got a chance to see a lot of open source projects grow, uh, it for me it was exciting because you got to hear and talk to different developers and not only in the company but because the tech that we were building was being shared across developers, I just saw the value and. Um, the power of open source to get people who previously may not may have to like pay a whole bunch of licensing or just it'd be a lot harder to build. But when we had open source and if when we shared whatever we had at Facebook, it actually um, helped power up a lot of uh, smaller developers. And I've always been like the underdog. Uh, I've always <laughs> been for the underdog. And it, for me, it just fit really well with open source. So I would go and do these talks at some of these community events, and I might be talking about, say, here, you can use React, this uh, JavaScript library, to build your web apps. And when I would explain it to some people, the thing that kind of like got me really excited was talking to some folks, and they would say things like, I never really thought about a career in software engineering. In fact, I ran away when I tried it, but the way you explained it, it <laughs> makes this really easy to do. I want to go home and like, figure out how to build a mobile app, build this, build that. And that was exciting to me, especially when I went to other parts of the world, um, places where people uh, may not be thinking that they could be building the next open source library and hearing them say things like, yeah, that's interesting, but I don't think I could be in that league. I don't think I am smart enough to build that open source library. And I'd be like, Oh, you are that smart. And then coming back and because it was open source, them going off, learning by themselves, creating their own conferences and coming back three or five years later and seeing those same people now be on the forefront of being like the fastest growing open source in particular countries. I think that was exciting. And I saw that as the power of open source, if done right, to basically speed up. But the question is like the if done right is not always true because it it can also, it needs to be sometimes know how to actually act, act really well. So that's where like the diversity and inclusion kind of comes in where I kind of get passionate about how do we, with all the promise that um, open source can get us, how can we actually marshal it and build it in such a way 
that it is inclusive. And sometimes it doesn't take that much to get to that point, but it is still a lot of work. So as Jody will now understand why I was so excited to have you on, I talk about this so much. Oh, yeah. Open source is her jam. I <laughs> talk about it, yes. And, you know, I talk about open source from the perspective of being uh, creating a very diverse and inclusive global community. Um, more so than just really focused on the technology. I love to focus on the people and the culture and then the technology. Right. And I felt when I first, because I, I helped start the Eclipse Foundation. And when I was at the Eclipse Foundation, it was a very, it felt very closed to me. You know, you had the, I call them the giants. You had IBM in there, obviously. You had Red Hat, you had Oracle, you had the giants in the room. And they would bring people on to work on these open source projects. But I wouldn't really call it an open source community. I, I feel like Jenkins, even though CloudBees eventually took it over and it was funded, Jenkins really was a good representation of what can be done with open source. But even with Jenkins, I've spoken to women and people of color, and I've told them, why don't you contribute to Jenkins? And they're like, well, I submitted a pull request. I didn't hear from anybody, so I didn't try anymore. So when I started Artilius, I made it a focus that it would be about community and about education, you know, encouraging people who have never done a pull request in their entire life to go out and actually take on an issue and try it and create a pull request and see what happens and go ahead and feel free to break things. (laughs) Break things, please. Uh, And mentorship is so important. Now, that's the one area that we have struggled with, I think, with the Ortelius Project. While we've had some small successes with mentorship, we struggle with getting uh, a a proper mentorship program together. Is there a model that we should be looking at that maybe large enterprises take on or other open source communities have done it well? Yeah, that's a good question, because like uh, like you say, when when I thought about open source, I also thought about education. In fact, there was a time in between my open source uh, gigs at Facebook where I went off and joined the education partnerships team within uh, Facebook, because I I was also thinking about I've always thought that education and open source kind of went hand in hand. And even before I joined the education partnerships uh, team, I had actually tried like proof of concept and open source mentorship uh, program within uh, Facebook, because again, to your your point, I just saw that as a way to, again, bring people and make open source more inclusive around the world. And we had at that time, a developer community that was, um, that had been done with, that had been put in place within Facebook called uh, Facebook developer circles. And, uh, and so I wanted to kind of like tap into those Facebook developer circles. It's kind of like, um, like um, Microsoft, uh, like the MVP program for Microsoft or Google has something equivalent. I think Mozilla may also have one. So this Facebook developer circles was communities around the world. It might 120 plus cities across the world. And we wanted to tap into those leadership to kind of build mentorship. And the way we wanted to set it up is have one or two uh, open source project maintainers within Facebook uh, match up with a couple of folks within those communities. And hopefully over time, grow it up uh, and and, and kind of like start off this like process where we'd uh, have mentorship sort of trickle down. Um, the thing that was interesting is that uh, I found that a lot of people within uh, Facebook who may not even have anything to do with those open source projects, but had a passion for being mentors would sign up and then would actually work really well with one or two community members. 
And then uh, I also found the same thing happened for me. I actually mentored people on a project which I had was not even an expert on. It seemed like what people wanted as in terms of mentees is they just wanted a sounding board of somebody who they was actually close to the project. Or you can just like give them a like, you know, you're doing the right thing. I'll check out your PR or your pull request before you submit it. You're on the right track. I can find somebody to unblock you. You did not even have to be an expert in that project to actually be a good mentor. And some of the best mentors were, were not even originally uh, key project maintainers. In fact, some mentors, uh, some people who became mentors eventually became like key maintainers on that project because they both loved mentoring so much and then they got attached to that project. But what I found as uh, we kind of run this proof of concept is like mentorship, you may already know, is really hard to scale to make that uh, that kind of like high touch um, the best practices and then like scale it out. That's where I found that was always the challenge. That I don't is, think I, you know, yeah. that is exactly yeah. the challenge with Artelius. Yeah. It's the, it's the scaling. We struggle with scaling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like you have to have the mentor, whether it is coming in, have the mentality that you're not going to uh, have people burn out because some of the best mentors who maybe like somebody, I remember once somebody said, maybe not in this context, but they say that, I don't do it too well because I care too much. And it was like, like, I was like, is care too much a bad thing? They said, I care so much that I burn out. So if you've got that one person who's always going back and they're always being the mentor and you're not really spreading, that's what I found was really hard. Do you know, you know, I should know the answer to this because I do a lot of work with the Linux Foundation, but only through a few of their, like the CD Foundation, some with the CNCF and and OpenSSF. But does, does the Linux Foundation have any kind of mentor programs? They do. It's called LFX Mentorship. And uh, and if you go down there, they might have like um, cohorts, like maybe twice a year. I might got, have got it wrong, but they do have an LFX Mentorship program. And, and that's been pretty good. I've heard people talk about how it's been really useful. And the other thing that's really hard when it comes to open source mentorship, and I'll, be t- I'll talk about major league hacking in a little bit. But uh, when it comes to mentorship, it's like you've got the mentors, you might need the projects. But you also, there's like different parts of it. So sometimes when we were running a mentorship uh, program, we actually later on within the open source team partner up with the major league hacking. And what they're doing is they have a focus on on, uh, bringing in diverse folks into open source and other projects, but open source is one of the things that they looked at. So initially, um, I think one of the initial programs was uh, Facebook, GitHub and uh, MLH got together to put together a cohort of people they would have like Facebook projects and other projects. And then uh, they would major MLH, which in itself has a huge uh, set of folks from university backgrounds. They've got that 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 base of folks. And so they were able to bring in the, the folks and then pick the right folks and then partner with GitHub and Facebook to get those folks mentored. And uh, it was like a six week, was it six weeks? Something like a 12 week program, I believe, 10 to 12 week program. They get to work with maintainers on a bunch of different projects. And that was actually pretty, pretty good. Um, again, what was kind of like a challenge at that time, maybe it's been solved, but the challenge at that time was getting enough of the projects kind of coming in from the project maintainers that were enough of a, a meaty project so that people could actually go in and continue to um to do like a good project because people do want to work on something that's really good and meaty. And then at the end of the day, another thing that MLH was wanted to focus on 
and which the OpenSSF um, education SIG, uh, I'll talk about that also a little bit, is they also wanted to focus on beyond just being able to go through the project. What were the good outcomes that came out of that? Did people actually go back? Were they able to get uh, a career, build a career or get a job? I think that's just as important as a mentorship as well. But MLH is actually trying to think about uh, tackling this at scale as well. Well, Google Summer, Summer of Code helps Somewhat with that. I, I mean, we I have participated in it, but we've oh, yeah. never get, we've never gotten um, Ortilius included in it. It's been we may be if we try. We probably should have tried it this year. But in the past, we have been too small of a project Too small. I don't know what that really even means, but to get attention and for people to know what we were doing. But I think that uh, in terms of how they structure it, uh, you know, and there's money involved, so it kind of helps, right? It helps bring new open source contributors into kind of the, the open source family. I, I don't know from the mentorship or from the mentee side, how much support did they get? I'm assuming the projects work with them. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And it just also depends on how it is, because I remember when we put together like, remember, I talked about the proof of concept mentorship program that I put together at Facebook. I remember one person who had gone through Google Sum of Code. Um, and even though the one that we put together was literally only about six weeks long, uh, just the attention that we gave to that particular individual, they said it just blew the uh, Google Sum of Code out the window. But then again, it doesn't mean that one person's experience can be translated to everyone else. But it's just like, just having that one touch with that particular uh, mentor is what's key. The other thing that I think MLH does really well is I believe they give a stipend to the, there's like a, there's, there's a, there's a ment there's a project mentor. So that could be like a project, say like a react or any project or the Ortelius, but then they also have somebody that is hired within the MLH that acts as more like that middle mentor as well to take a lot of the pressure off of, say, the Atelius project maintainer. And then that person then uh, works with the, the bunch of mentees, a certain number of mentees. And because that uh, mentor, the MLH mentor is a paid program as well as the mentee also gets some kind of like uh, funding around that, that's a little bit more sustainable, I would say. At least that's a model that they're trying to trying to work with that within. Well, what I would like to see is, and you mentioned the universities, but I, and, and there's so, we have, I mean, there's community colleges that have programming classes now. You can get certifications. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we have, you know, university level uh, folks, you know, women and men graduating every day. Uh, but a lot of them have never thought about, especially in the U.S., contributing to an open source project. It feels yeah. to me like what would be a great program would be one quarter or one semester where they have to contribute to an open source project. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree totally. And uh, maybe it helps that some universities are putting, are putting together the equivalent of open source program offices. But I know the one thing that I used to do also at Facebook is I would, I would do sort of like these roadshows. And so sometimes they were like connected with recruiting, but I would go to universities and maybe just do a... Uh, we're going to contribute to an open source project today, and I'll show you how to do your very first PR, because what tends to happen in a lot of colleges is, number one, they may get a lot of, like, if you're a computer science student, you may get a lot of information about, like, very theoretical, but they may not get hands-on. So they go into the real world, and the real world is doing a lot of things with open source. They may have used it, but they may not have contributed. So I really love doing this, your first PR. This is the first time you contribute to open source and it would just be like a half hour, like uh, a half hour um, exercise or a workshop that people would use. 
And even within the Open SSF, I mentioned previously, uh, there's like a, there was a mobilization plan around education. And part of that, uh, there was a, an, a line item in there related to how do we work with diverse uh, underrepresented communities. But even within that plan, there has been like an education special interest group that has taken over that mobilization plan. And within that, there's a diversity, equity, and inclusion piece of it that's also thinking about how do we partner with, with some of these different uh, universities, but overall, how do we actually even partner with the universities in general? And one thing that we're discussing around there is, can we get workshops and some of these things put together? Because we've also been having these office hours within these DEI six, and invariably one or two people, we've only had a couple, but invariably somebody comes in and asks all these questions about open source, cybersecurity, how do you contribute? But in there, we always hear this nugget of like, how do I get started? And whenever I go talk about open source, especially with university students, they're always asked, how do I get started? Because it's kind of intimidating making that very first PR. But once you've done that very first PR. And the university should be, you know, they, they'll tell in terms of job, getting their first job, they'll say, well, let's make sure you have a good LinkedIn profile. But yeah. we know the next step for the in, an employer, they're going to look at their GitHub profile. GitHub profile. Yeah, I, I would That's do really that. <laughs> I would do that because I would go and talk to these university students. And I remember when I was looking at somebody's resume and they had the GitHub profile, I could click on that profile right away and click on that project. So I would go and do these talks and talk about your GitHub profile is just as important. This is what you want to put in there. These are the places where you can find these friendly communities. This is how you kind of uh, get started and going. And and literally, I, I still have that in a, somewhere else. And I would love to like, get, people talk about it, but like you're saying, it needs to be a curriculum. And I even- It has just, to be, a, it needs to be a proper course. It needs like to be a three in it or a, a, yeah. a three credit or a four credit with, yeah. with a lab kind of course that says you have to do 10 pull requests and then in this, during the semester, you pick your own project. And as you just described, you sort of had a middle layer, a middle tier that kind of helped that professor that that uh, could be that middle tier because oh, okay. they should be watching the GitHub that all the pull requests that the students are doing. They should be aware of the projects and maybe they even know the projects. I've talked to, to um, oftentimes, especially community college uh, instructors, and they they're not involved in, a, in an open source themselves. But if they were aware of some of the programs and we could put a curriculum together, it would be fascinating. And, you know, we have a couple of college students um, on the Artilius project, and some of them do get ex they, they get uh, credit for being part of an open source project. Oh, they do? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, of course, India would figure that out sooner than later, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Because what I used to do as well, because I've even uh, sort of taken the same message to... Um, some of like the high schools, because um, when I was part of the education and partnerships program, I'm like, let's let's try to get this open source thinking early on. And so I'll talk about, because um, there are like, I forget the name of these, um, similar to GitHub, but it's more for like a younger generation where you get to remix and you get to like create these things. And it's for people who are learning how to get, uh, how to actually learn how to code. And so I would talk about like, this is one way where you got like, this is how you remix something, but remix is almost like a GitHub pull request. And I would just talk to these teachers about, this is how you can get started with people thinking about with an open source mindset really early. And the, the cycle is pretty common in how you do with open source. First, you use an open source project, 
then you can contribute to that and then you can actually create your own. And there's all these different things in between. But if that became like a, a course where you kind of study all of these three different like points of how you use open source and at the end of the day, you create your project and you're, you're good to go. And then maybe that project feeds the next generation in that particular college, school, community college, where now they get to use some open source project that somebody created and you pick some good ones that can actually last a pretty long time. Oh my time. goodness, Christine, you got to pull that together. You got to pitch it. <laughs> <laughs> you must pitch it. I'm not kidding you. It's so needed. It really is. It's so needed. Yeah. And you know, it, you could even do it younger because they have like, uh, the, you know, we've judged the supercomputing challenge in New Mexico and every state has one, but none of the instructors were having the students have a, a, a GitHub repo. Mm. You know, they were working yeah. on things. I have no idea how they were able to pull it all together, but they did. And a lot of times yeah. it's the tooling that they use. It's some of it simplifies the programming. But even if the, even at a supercomputing challenge, it should be like, do you have a GitHub profile? How many, how, how, how are you managing your repo? All yeah. of that brings so much awareness and real life kind of strategy that's so needed in enterprises today. It's what, what that's yeah. what companies are looking at. It's, it's the first step of DevOps, right? Is checking your code in. Yeah. And, and, and maybe because a lot of people I remember, I kind of had a, a moment when I went and I was at uh, um, a college, um, I think it was in, somewhere in Santa Cruz, and I was basically doing something with GitHub and I was doing in command line and all of the students were looking at me, they were like, what is that? And then I, <laughs> I, re I realized that, oh, I, okay, so I, I mean, I learned something really, really good during that experience. That's something and, and it, the point I was trying to make is like, when people go into the into the corporate world and then they're suddenly brought in and they have to think about all of these tools and uh, Git and it's just a little bit overwhelming. And so even if we could just ease the process of onboarding where people are already familiar with some of these concepts, when they get to the um, to an actual tech company, they don't have to like learn all of those different concepts again. I am with you. I'm telling you, you yeah. got to pull that, that those thoughts together and you need to pitch that. We'd love to get some funding just to put a, a program together at some of the, you know, community colleges in rural areas. I because that, yeah, because yeah. that, that, that's we're doing outreach in the areas that we are, haven't kind of harvested for, you know, all the smart kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's go find them. Yeah. Let's go find them. That's true. That's true. Like you say, it doesn't take long. And, and that was part of the things I used to enjoy a lot is just going out and talking to the different universities. Again, part of like the recruiting team at Facebook, a lot of them went to these uh, universities and we just talk about what is open source, break it down, how do you get involved? And But we never talked to the professors. I mean, we did some, some conversations with some of the professors to try to get them to do and use some of our open source projects, but we never got it to the point of like, this is how you should build like the culture of open source within your community college. And I think that could be done on the heels of, like I said, uh, there are some universities who are starting to think about creating like open source program office. I know the US government is also has in mind to create open source program office. So this, even when we talk about like say generative AI and some of the new career opportunities, there are a lot of career opportunities in open source. And I also like to talk about open source, not just being for people who are coding, but it's like a whole ecosystem of, community managers, uh, people who are just like develop advocates. And when people hear about that, they're like, oh, I can do that too. I'm like, yeah, open source is not just for people writing code. There's like 
there's a whole ecosystem oh, around we need, that. We yeah. need artists. We need people who can produce oh, we videos. Artists. We need all kinds of roles. It's yeah. like having a startup with absolutely no funding um, and, it, and it's growing. Yeah. And it, it, there's so many roles in the open source community that people can So many roles. In. So many roles. And when you go to, a, say, say, like a company and uh, you want to say, say you had a dream that I want to become a product manager. You'd have to kind of learn the ropes and do a lot of things. But if you hit that right open source community or you actually create your own open source project and it's popular, you are learning so many startup, uh, I mean, like so many startup uh, roles in there. And you can actually become a product manager much faster going the open source route than if you go to the actual corporate route. So these are these are real stories that I've heard from people. It's so important for careers. So let's uh, shift and talk about F5. What's what's happening at F5? What's new and exciting? Um, well, at F5, it's uh, like I said, my role is just to kind of get um, um, at F5. F5 has been thinking a lot more about open source recently. And this is after the acquisition of Nginx, which is one of uh, one of like the, the top web servers. So an F5, for those who don't know, is a company that thinks about making apps faster and secure. And a lot of the things that they've been building around that, well, one of it is like called F5 Distributed Cloud. And um, another part is like Nginx. So what we've been focusing as part of the open source team is where can we kind of like fit in to bring in more of that open source culture into the way that F5 works? Because historically, or in the most recent, part, uh, recent past, there were a lot of companies that have been acquired by F5 were increasingly because uh, it's the... Uh, world we live in using and creating more open source projects, how we also within F5 marry a lot of those companies together and actually work within our silos, which open source is like primary knows how to do that really well. So um, another thing that F5 is has been doing is traditionally when F5 um, is known for this uh, product called Big IP, which is a firewall, which primarily was uh, consumed through hardware. But as the world is becoming more SaaS, um, F5 has become more of a SaaS-led company. So through the acquisitions and some of the other projects that have been uh, uh, have been acquired over time, it's become more of a hybrid SaaS. So people are not thinking about just like, I want my apps or my servers all locally, but thinking about things in the cloud and they're thinking about all the workloads in various areas. And so where that is pretty important, F5 is uniquely positioned just through the acquisitions and what they've had in the past to address all of these different places. So F5 again is thinking a lot about how do we continue to secure workloads. And there's a, so I've been coming up to speed in the last year and a half about F5 products because traditionally I came from Facebook where I had to focus a lot more on like the front end. So that's been my four days. So kind of coming back to some, uh, at some point I did do some networking and, and one of the jobs I had was uh, with Nokia, which had like a hardware division. So I'm like trying to like remember some of those routes to figure out what F5 is doing, but it's, 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 it's exciting times. And then obviously with generative AI, just trying to like figuring out where that kind of fits in. But one of the products that F5 had acquired uh, is called, uh, was a company called Shape, which does bot and fraud detection, which had a lot of AI and ML components. So there's like thoughts around that. And another project that uh, F5 has been talking a lot about, which fits with like sort of like the generative AI is something called adaptive application. So adaptive application is like, you've got applications, your traditional applications is like something happens kind of like reactive. With adaptive application is like, how do we 
how do the uh, applications themselves adapt to their environment such that whether through telemetry or data, they can either self-heal. So there's a lot of, of, of things that we're thinking around how do we play in that, how do we kind of play and lead in that space? And there's all these pieces that are being put in place, but the question is like, F5 wants to sort of like, we want to lead in that area of like, how do you create applications that kind of like recognize what's going on? So these are things that I'm still kind of like learning in terms of where F5 is going, but it's, it's a lot of exciting times, especially uh, as you think about data, which is like the new thing with generative AI coming back to the where we started off. Data is one thing that's really key. And that's where um, that's where F5, I think, can, can potentially help lead. Because when you think about like data APIs, making them fast, making them secure, the more data you have in, in there, the more this is gonna be more and more important. <laughs> Yeah, I have a funny story about this is about F5. This is po way this is way before COVID when um, yeah. I, I can't even remember now. It was at a conference. It was at a partner kind of dinner and they were handing out awards for their top partners. And I was sitting kind of in a circle and chatting with all well, mainly men. And it was <laughs> F5 and a bunch of the F5 sales reps and a senior sales VP. And they started talking about their load balancing technology. And my sometimes I have trouble controlling my inside voice and i said <laughs> not I you said, i know <laughs> i said something like well that technology is gonna all go away just you better watch out for engine x <laughs> oh you did i did <laughs> i did and the guy looked at me and he said it better not be going away and i was like it will it's this you're this is cloud native is, is upon us so yeah. i was not surprised that if i yeah. uh, made that acquisition i personally believe that that company has done a great job of staying relevant. It's been, it's a hard road when you start from the architecture, right? And the hardware. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it, it's a very hard road to stay relevant. And they've done a really yeah. an amazing job of staying, staying relevant. So I'm sure it's fun to work there. Yeah. And especially like you say, uh, you kind of called it early, but, you know, <laughs> coming from like, if, if you're, if you're about apps and security or whatever, you just kind of like follow the road where the road is leading. And like you say, cloud native and Nginx is the next one. And it's, it's going to be like a continuous shift and you just have to just be on the lookout for what's happening. So it, it, it's, it's definitely a, a fun thing to kind of like see where things are shaping up or things are going. And uh, um, I think another thing that I'm more excited about as well, coming coming back to like the open source is like with Nginx being open source and with a lot of CIOs and a lot of people pulling for open source projects, it's one it's something that we always have to keep mind mindful of. Like what's this, what's the next thing the CIO wants to buy and how do we stay relevant? How do we stay one step ahead of where things are going? So that, that part is like the fun stuff. Yeah, it's it, and and again from where F five started, it's not it was it's not a hard it's a real it was a hard place to stay relevant yeah. because the technology around the, the hardware changed so fast. Yeah, and we're going to do it again. We're going to see it again. That's why we, I've told everybody go learn you know what it uh, uh, what tensor is right. Yeah, and a, yeah, TP, a TPU instead of a GPU. We have to start learning that stuff because it's it's headed our way and it's going to hit us really fast. No, faster than you think is like, even uh, I remember when I joined uh, F5 and I was like chatting with my, my sister who comes from a security background. Uh, and I was like, could you just give me the base, very basics of security? And it's just always interesting when you tack on something to what you know, how much just richer, because like now knowing a lot more about security and getting involved with the OpenSSF and then having an open source background, I can see how a lot of those things 
should be more tightly <laughs> wound together. Like they all make sense together. So like TPUs, GPUs, all new stuff to learn. <laughs> A lot. Yeah. And do you, so what? Uh, so right now, F five is part of OpenSSF. You guys are members. Yes, exactly. we are members. Are you, are, are you members of any of the other uh, foundations within the Linux Foundation? I know we are looking. We're definitely. Um, I so we are definitely CNCF for sure. Um, uh, Linux Foundation, obviously. To do group, we're active in. I know we're looking at CD Foundation. I'm not sure if that's in play or not. But yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that we are uh, looking at. But those are the like the key ones. And I know at some point we were also part of like the LF networking uh, as well. I'm not sure if we're still in that part in in that uh, foundation. I think that the CD Foundation is unfortunately overlooked uh, yeah. quite a bit. But yeah. it is. They have some projects in that, and I, I talk about CD events a lot. It has the ability to really disrupt the way we do CI/CD and deployments, and that is what we need to disrupt. That right now, it is the area that needs the most disruption because what you were talking about earlier, just understanding what's you know what's happening within the pipeline, the self-healing, all that's going to come in the data that comes across the pipeline. So it's that it's the pipeline right now and that delivery mechanism that really should we should be really kind of looking at how do we leverage it? Yeah. How do we harvest the data out of it? Because that's that's where the predictive analysis is going to come from. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I think the CD Foundation is still out there and I'm rooting for it. I'm really am because yeah. I think there's so much to be done. In that uh, we have a partnership we with the CD Foundation here. I actually produce a show called the CD Pipeline. Um, mm -hmm. We're actually about to record an episode on their the state of continuous delivery report that just got released in May. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to that and kind of hearing about what they're up to. But yeah, mm -hmm. Tracy definitely talks about the under under representation and utilization of the CD Foundation for sure. Uh, it's definitely the underdog of the Linux Foundation in many ways, but it has one yeah. of the most critical roles and. You know, if it's not a shiny new object, we don't tend to look at it. Um, <laughs> CNCF has been so um, amazingly successful around Kubernetes. The OpenSSF has got a lot of attention, uh, mainly because Log4j, it's the reason for their existence. Yeah. But the CDF just keeps plugging along, trying to actually improve the way we deliver software. Well, and yeah, yeah. That is, in essence, the problem. Yeah, oh, I think I think one of the things that's going to be good is that we have within uh, some members within uh, Nginx and some of those folks who are much very much aware of of CD Foundation. In fact, I think a couple of them, one of them may have spoken at the CD Foundation conference that happened just before the Open Source Summit. So I know mm -hmm. I know some folks within the teams have been plugging away from CD Foundation. So I don't think within we're ignoring it, but it's good to kind of know from the outside how important it is as well. I think their CD events project is probably one of the most important yeah. projects in terms of the software factory, if you want to call it that. I think the events project is the one of the most important, honestly. Because let's let's put it this way. If you want to, uh, if Steve Taylor, my partner, did a little bit of research. Uh, he learned that in 2018, it was reported that there was over 20 million Jenkins workloads. Okay, so now we have a security issue and we want to put SBOM right. generation and all those workflows. We got to go edit 20 million workflows. Wow. It's not going to happen. But an mm. event-based process, kind of like cloud events, will say you've got you know a trigger, you've got a payload. 
and you can define what you want, what tool you want to support that 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 triggered payload. Uh, but you don't have to update a workflow. <laughs> Mm. You just put a tool, a new tool in, in the in the process. In the workflow. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and gotcha. so been, they've been working on standardizing vocabulary around that, um, and I'm hoping that the um, OpenSSF can get involved and define security uh, vocabulary and standards. You know, mm. what are the steps and what needs to be passed across that event, uh, that, that event listener? Okay. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, that makes hey, a lot you of guys, sense. we are getting going long here. Oh, sorry, oh, we Johnny's calling so us. Long. I know. I'm like, where can I? But it just keeps going, and I hate. But I'm gonna get yelled at if we keep well, talking too much. Christine, well. gotcha. it's been a pleasure. I love geeking out with yeah. you. It's yeah. just a, it, it says a lot that we can just keep going. That's why we're nah. here. That's why we're doing this. Is these yeah. conversations are great and um, people enjoy listening to them. And obviously we have great guests like you and people love listening to you. So thank you for being here with us. We really appreciate it. And right, we'll be uh, watching out for all the fun stuff you guys are up to. It's it is a crazy yeah. world right now. Like you both said. People yeah. need to really be thinking ahead and be very adaptable because uh, things are moving fast and when you throw the AI into it, it's mm-hmm. just going to move faster, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. And I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Thanks, Jody, and thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Loved it. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for being with us today. Um, stay tuned for some more great programming here on TechStrong TV. And we'll see you back here in a couple more weeks with a new episode of Tech Strong Women. Thanks for being here.